Hi there, this is Dominic Keating. I played Malcolm Reed, particularly on Star Trek Enterprise. And you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. And welcome to Neil Before Pod. I am Chris McCrell, standing in for Craig McKenzie for this special look at the MCU. What we have done is we have gone out, we have scoured the entire film history of the MCU and picked our top tens, our personal top tens, and we have aggregated them into one mega chart for Neil Before Pod, basically giving us an excuse to talk about our favourite MCU films in the run-up to Endgame, which we are all mega excited about. Joining me to go through our top ten are Aaron. Hello. I am Iron Man. We have have Isaac. Hello. And we have regular host Craig. I get to sit and hurl abuse without anybody worrying (laughs) <laughs> you just get to try it and create as many swear word edit points as possible yep. for the next, you know. No, I would, I would do that. But I am enjoying the peanut gallery. It has to be said. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me for this because uh, it, it was kind of something that we we're thinking: how are we going to sum up the MCU? And I thought, well, normally around about Christmas, we've sort of done top ten Christmas movies, and we've had some other top ten suggestions. And I thought, well, we've got to do the MCU at some point. So I appreciate. Fun. Like appreciate you all coming along yeah yeah we all like a good list it adds order so, to the universe <laughs> speaking of bringing order to the universe it is time for us to kneel before and rise against who is wanting to go first craig is going to go first come on yep. craig so i'm going to be self-indulgent with this one and i'm going to kneel before a film called steel country that is out on demand uh and on sky and stuff uh, probably when you listen to this podcast, actually, but it'll be out by then. reason I'm kneeling before it is because it's a good film. It stars Andrew Scott, a.k.a. Sherlock's Moriarty. And uh, Neil Before Blog got a mention on the trailer and on the poster. So, Ooh. you know, kind of have to pimp it. Four stars, says me. And it's the first time ever appearing on a trailer and a poster. And that, stand by that four stars. It is a good film. So that's why I'm kneeling before it. So get to kneel before myself, kind of, for once, which is yeah, logistically kind of a problem. I don't know how I do that like, physically, but there we go. I've never been on a film poster before. The uh, the closest I get is during the Edinburgh Fringe, where sometimes my reviews end up on, on, on fringe posters and flyers, and that always gets me a bit excited. Well, that counts. It counts, it counts, though it's only really normally seen around about Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Edinburgh famous for four weeks. Yeah, better than nothing. Watch Excellent. Steel Country as soon as possible, if you can. It's great, and it gets the name of our little podcast and website out there. We're going to be mega famous. Are you going to be signing autographs? Uh, if you want. I mean, I'll sell them for a couple of pounds a go. Will you, you autograph it? this check, please? <laughs> nice try. Damn uh, that would almost certainly bounce, so it would not not be worth it. Aaron, what are you kneeling before? I think I'm going to pick the Mandalorian, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Having just seen the sneaky 
release from, I don't know, whichever convention display it was that shouldn't have come out, but we really wanted it to come out really honest. Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, not really a release, but yeah, we're not really going to stop this sort of um, whatever it was. But it's 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 offering us that thing that we talked about before, which is Star Wars that's not based on the Jedi, or at least that's what we assume from what we've seen so far. And it was promised to be, and and therefore I think Craig's going to hate it. Gritty and realistic, and because that's really my thing. So I love it how they use the word realistic in the Star Wars universe. Well, those two things don't seem to go well together. But you can't. Yeah, yeah. Everything comes with the label suspension of disbelief. You know, realistic is can you get into it? That's you know, if we if we start questioning the very foundation of our own universe and podcast, then we all will just need to stop existing now. So yeah, I've not actually seen the teaser yet. Um, although I've seen some of the shots, it looks quite interesting. Some of the background stuff that I've been hearing about is kind of questionable, such as it will feature the droid with a bad motivator from Episode Four because everyone wants to see what <laughs> happened to that guy. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of bounty hunters in it, I think. That like Boss giving his name in, that'll be all right, maybe. I think it's got the potential to be really interesting. It's got quite a good team behind it. I've seen the little teaser. I don't understand with these things, so they present it to a big hall full of people with mobile phones, but don't put it on the internet. It's like, why not just put a nice, good quality version of this on the internet for everyone to see? Has there I ever really the- been a convention unless you're watching a blurry mobile phone recording? Yeah, it's like, do, 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 do I need to see an out-of-focus slightly to one side with someone's arm-in-the-way shot of the Mandalorian trailer? Or could you give me, like, the best impression first time and put a nice high-def copy up on YouTube? Isn't it funny how we have HD cameras until trailers are leaking? And then it's, <laughs> you know, it might as well be recorded on VHS from a mile away. I get, I get that the idea is like, oh, let's, let's sort of do little exclusives uh, for people that are there. But when you're doing a, a, a little exclusive to a room that big, it's going to leak on the internet. Sorry. But everything about it sort of um, seems, you know, there's there's some all right stuff in there. So, yeah, I, I can't question it until it comes out. I'm looking forward to seeing Star Wars on telly. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. The fact that they've said it's not uh, a Boba Fett based thing i think is pretty good so that that instantly sort of cleared that in my head and made me happier because i thought we were just going to see sort of the sarlacc pit chronicles (laughs) yeah no one wants to see that except for the people that want to see that i suppose (laughs) there'll be a list of people go why is it not him why why oh why (laughs) or maybe it is who knows i might be stand corrected there are a lot of clones (laughs) (laughs) so let's just not even go there isaac are you interested in mandalorian uh, it was it it was briefly my rise against until I found something that I actually had opinion about. Oh. I because unlike I like lightsabers and things. I think the only reason I like I like Star Wars to enjoy like I don't know. I I quite like I quite like the smallness of the universe. I enjoy clapping my hands when a lightsaber comes on and there's a familiar <laughs> face and stormtroopers etc. I don't know, I keep sort of, there's nothing really, um, I'm looking, there's nothing gripping me towards the Mandalorian, it's just sort of, I don't really care for Boba Fett and his gang in the old films, it was just sort of a, it'd be like if they did like a Captain Phasma TV show, it's like, they didn't, they didn't do yeah. anything, it's just a, and then you have like, 
oh, and here's that cardboard cutout that's going to be in it, that robot or whatever, and then this suit made from a Star Trek suit that they painted yellow is that's <laughs> that's going to be in it. And it's kind of like, oh, no, I want, give me a, give me some. I want, I want lightsaber in the floor. I think I like. I think I prefer that. I like the science fiction mixed with magic element that is brought in by the Force. So when you get stuff that doesn't really feature the Force, I'm really not interested. I was like, eh, it's just another space thing. At least you'll get the EA created video game that won't have microtransactions, but will have a director's cut if you want to pay more for it. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> I watched a trailer on me at work, and it's just like some guy and then a Inquisitors after him or something. It was very vague. Yeah, it looks alright yeah, to be fair. It's sort of a guy discovers that he's got Jedi powers and has to go into hiding, style. Yeah, it, it could be good. I mean, the fact that it's not like a multiplayer battle royale yeah, game, like kind of like thingy. is like great. You know, it's actually got a story and stuff. And Whether no the story will be any good, <laughs> and no microtransactions. But if you yet. want the ending, that that's the special edition, which costs an extra tenner. <laughs> Otherwise, it just doesn't end. It just kind of stops at one point. Yeah, and ha- halfway through, the graphics change, and additional characters get added in the background. <laughs> Classic Star Wars. Oh yeah, the way it's meant to be. Um, Isaac, what are you kneeling before? I'm kneeling before the. It's kind of an odd way that it came out, but Phoebe Waller Bridge. A comedian that I really think I think's really funny. She just did the second series of Fleabag, uh, Killing Eve. I'm not I didn't see Killing Eve, but apparently that's very good. She was in Solo. She was the L three three seven, but she's also like a comedy writer, and she's going to do a a comic overview slash rewrite of the new James Bond film because Daniel Craig really enjoyed Fleabag and demanded that she get brung in. It's not really sort of like incredibly laugh out loud like sort of comedies, but it's like. See, like the most recent series has been super compelling. Like, it's like A star TV. There's only a couple of series. Like, well, the second was the last series, and so I've heard her on like other shows, other podcasts and stuff. And she's sort of very charming and witty and very funny. And yeah, so Daniel Craig is also a big fan, and part of his new thing is like he's had her brung in to redo the script for. Well, hopefully, still Shatterhand. But to add like a bit of extra sort of humour and wit and style into it, which I think that makes me more more excited. Twice, most of the time I kind of forget they're making another James Bond film, but occasionally I'll hear news about it. Like, oh yeah, that's good. That should be good. Do they need that lighter tone to make uh, the ninja Christoph Waltz more believable? Need, yes, it's like a bit of just sort of. She's sort of most of her shows sort of point out how like silly everything is, and it's a bit like there's always like cheek and. Pushing like pushing people how far you can sort of sort of them off and upsetting posh people and stuff. It's all kind of fun, and I think it'll be kind of like instead of having like the gloomy Daniel Craig Bond, and cause I think they tried to write jokes for him. In, was it Spectre one of them? And they were really weird because it he didn't change his way of he didn't change his delivery on any jokes. He just said them in like a very cold, stoic manner. Which shouldn't work, so it'd be nice to have a little bit more fun in it. I'm guessing it won't be from James Bond himself, but maybe from just the Maybe it could be like from the gang or from the new Bond girl or the new villain or anything. Or it could be from James Bond, but I think it'd be nice to have like a slightly more fun one, especially if it's 
Like, I'm glad that she's moved from well, doing her own sort of TV shows and stuff, and now she's moved into sort of writing for big budget movies. So, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I think it's interesting that they're bringing someone in to have a little I'll run over the script, which is good. I mean, because this has been passed through, you know, so many people at the moment. So I, I'm not really sure what to expect from this Bond film. And then I'm not sure even if Christoph Waltz is coming back, because someone said that he might not be returning as Blofeld. So it will be interesting because I was wanting I was wanting to see him as a ninja, you know. That that's yeah. the only that's the only reason that I swapped allegiances and knelt before the, yeah, <laughs> when we were yeah, doing yeah, our sort of news summary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was if we don't get that it will be a disappointment. Um well, I am going to kneel before. I don't know if anyone's kneel before this on another podcast that's recorded this week, but I'm going to say Game of Thrones season 8 is back on telly. No one has. Uh, no one has. Excellent. I can carry on. Uh, Game of Thrones Season 8 is back on telly and I am majorly excited. The only thing that is minorly putting me off is how excited every news outlet on the internet seems to be about it. However, I'm very excited that it's back on telly and I'm getting to watch. I have now caught up with Game of Thrones after holding on for ages and ages for the books to be finished so that I could read it as it was intended. I have decided go for it and watch the TV show. I've loved it, and having season eight on is just icing on the cake. I was a fan of the first book, actually. I was really into it, and the reason that I say only the first book is because I started to lose interest as the, quote, epic nature of it took over, because I think that was purposeful on his part to to write an epic story, but it got so far into the epic that... I, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but like that when he was introducing characters into book five, that then immediately died, and it, I started to th- th- that was th- that was the reason I, I stopped watching the TV series as well. There was so many new things occurring that I found that well, I kind of don't. I'm not interested in you. I want to see the people I've already bonded with, I've already mm. attached with. So I, I I I actually did by about series three got. I, I, yeah, I wasn't. I lost interest, and unfortunately, I find Daenerys so annoying that I, I had to. I had to stop. So I, I will need to read books six A, six B, seven A, and seven B <laughs> when they do come out. But, um, but yeah, I'm afraid I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't sustain interest in the TV series. Is Daenerys the one that's played by Amelia Clark? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. She. I've not seen Game of Thrones, but she's annoyed me in every. Thing I've seen her in uh, Terminator, Solo. That's I think that's it. But yeah, oh no, she was in some rom com. Uh, to be fair to the there. times I've seen her, it there was nothing about her that annoyed me. It it was always the writing that not in Solo. It was the the character that she was given I found difficult to accept. And in Game of Thrones, the idea that this godlike savior of all the first men is wandering around somewhere completely different, doing things that seemed unrelated to the main story. And it even became a meme where they just would put on the internet some quote of hers, it didn't matter, and then the very next character would immediately say, go back to Westeros. It was it was such a clear... It was such a clear journey in the wilderness that lasted for like six books... 
and I, I I have to admit it was it was it expressed everything that I struggled with that she was she is effectively the messiah i mean she she is born in flames is super in control of everything except when she angstily isn't but then immediately is back in control of everything and yet still wasn't forwarding the main plot and I, yeah i struggled with her too much for that but that's not the actress that was definitely the character there was a lot even in the books of you know you'd be coming up to something major happening uh, a battle a death or you know a sudden plot twist and then it would be, meanwhile, elsewhere, yes. <laughs> the yeah. dragons are getting lessons in how to fly. And and it's, it's, that's, uh, yeah. it's that thing that authors talk about, actually. I've heard a few of them say this. They're talking about the when you do the scene switch, you need to make sure that your audience is not only desperate to hear more of what they've just left, but also really grateful that they've come back to some things that they previously had that need to get back to so they're constantly being pulled oh i want to know more about this i want to know more about this and unfortunately i got to the points where i was like can i skip on so i can get back to where we were oh no i can't because that's only going to be picked up in third person in the next book because there's so many characters and (laughs) so I, i couldn't even skip over the daenerys parts um which is Problematic for me, but I know Daenerys is a favourite character, and uh, and I do like to stand against the internet. Apparently, so so I, I'm happy to sit in the wings, and uh, no pun intended, I swear, uh, and and with the unpopular kids and talk about other things. Speaking of unpopular things, it is time to move to our rise against. That's Craig, you, you want to start again? <laughs> did you see it? Did you see it? Did that. you see what I did? It what, moved. what a clever segue. It moved from one place to another place and it was fluid. But now yeah. that we've done this, it's like halted it all over. I just like to Damn derail it. the train. Peanut gallery. <laughs> I'm in Damn the peanut it. gallery. So, what am I rising against? I'm rising against the recently announced Grease prequel that will take place during the song Summer Lovin'. Nice. It is essentially a, what, two and a half minute song? Stretch into what, what I imagine will be 19 minutes to two hours of film. And I just wonder why. Who wants this story? Who's asking for this? Who wants this? Why is this being made? It was a song that told you everything you needed to know about their prior relationship. Do we need to spend two hours doing it? But it's a musical, man. Musicals make infinite money. Are you, yeah. You're asking people who does not want infinite money. It's gonna so it's gonna be a musical about a song that will have other songs in it, and it will make infinite money. Yeah. But the bit where they steal the plans to the Death Star and then Darth Vader turns up at the end will be awesome. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong prequel. No, no, that happens in every prequel. That's what the lines of living having a blast means. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where she nearly drowns. I mean, that might be an exciting scene. Yeah, I had this on my list of like things to rise against because like it just seems unnecessary. I mean, the fact that they had a Grease Two was completely unnecessary. It's not really Grease Two, though, is it? It's just another musical yeah. that has the Grease name attached. Yeah, and then to do this, you seem like, well, why? And then they'll probably do like cameos of the old cast and stuff, and Somehow. it just seems. It just seems unnecessary. <laughs> it just really does. It's like, just come up with your own musical. I mean, other people have been coming up with other successful musicals recently, so why not do something else? What do you think it'll be called? I mean, they'll need the Grease. 
name recognition in there somewhere. Grease the beginnings or something, you know. Like, uh, Grease the rise of Danny. I don't know. Grease, semicolon, <laughs> summer loving. Some, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, some, yeah. yeah, some crap like that. So, yeah. I'm hating against that because I think it's a stupid idea. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. That just it just seems unnecessary. Yeah, do we need more musicals? Anyway, that's 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 a debate. I quite like musicals actually, but you know, probably not this one. I'm not a huge fan of Grease either. I know the internet was now just punching the air and being like, "Why are we listening to this crap?" He doesn't even like Grease, but I don't. I don't think it's that good. Yeah, you'll never get your review on that poster then. I mean, yeah, well, it's, you know, I mean, some of the songs are okay when you're drunk and at a wedding, but other than that. Nah. Only in those instances, when I'm drunk and at a wedding. No, no other time. Okay, Aaron, what are you rising against? Unfortunately, I think I'm rising against the final season of Gotham. No. <laughs> and I have to say that I am also going to be sitting in the corner away from the other Gotham fans, but anybody that, that has seen my stance on the reviews will would definitely understand why because what I wanted from Gotham is something that comes in now and again but it's not the main theme but the choice for series 5 was the correct one I think because I think it will give the the fan, the the bigger part of the fan base what it wants which is a tour through all of the characters and a tour through all of the old themes put on top of a even more outlandishly new backdrop. And I say that knowing that um, those people that compare Legends of Tomorrow and Gotham to see which is the wackiest, they, they can only claim that Legends is the wackiest in the absolute sense. If you, if you compare them relative to their opening premise, i.e. one of them doesn't have time travel, dimension hopping, access to infinite technology. So if you allow for that relative handicap that Gotham's got, they are definitely equally as wacky. And the post-apocalyptic setup for for season five of Gotham is, 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 is Gotham Max. So I do think actually it was the right choice for Gotham as a series for the send-off, because it's definitely a send-off. But you know, I'm only I'm only rising against it because it it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted what was given at the end of season four. I thought the second half of season four was was truly good television. Um, but it's that sideline that is wanted by some of us that comes up now and again. Um, so so it is the right thing for the season, but it's not the right thing for me. Stay tuned for Aaron's sure to be negative review coming soon. Hopefully balanced, but nonetheless indicating a personal distaste <laughs> review. I've seen the trailer for the last two episodes. I stopped watching Gotham years ago, and it looks like the last two episodes certainly are The Dark Knight Rises, but more mental, which I don't think The Dark Knight Rises was mental enough, so maybe I'll enjoy those last two episodes. I will watch the last two and then hope I can follow it, just so I can see it end. It's one of those ones that I think at some point I'll probably end up binging through the show. But I, I watched the first season, but then I've just never quite caught up. Um, I think if you like the second season, you will find individual episodes a bit naff, but there's plenty in there that kind of that carries you through in the in the theme that they've chosen. And I don't 
think it disappoints the core audience ever. So if, you, if you're a big fan of the second season, I think you'll be carried through fine till the end. But if you struggle with the theme choices in the second season, then you'll, yeah, you might struggle throughout. I mean, I did like some of the second season. Actually, it does hit the things that I wanted to see, again, in these odd moments. But the majority of it is this crazy over-the-top stuff with... I don't know. I can't even describe it. Gotham is now only described by one word, and that is Gotham. <laughs> and you can check out all of Aaron's reviews of the the series up until this point as well. Isaac, have you had any interest in watching Gotham? Uh, Gotham, Gotham, Gotham. Um, Gotham girl. I saw the pictures of the Joker. The the weird, like the melty face, like strands of hair image they released. Oh, a bit. Remember, there was like, there was, a, there was a, yeah, the stage where I was like, you'd read the weirdness that's going on and be like, oh yeah, there's Professor Pig and he's doing a, a musical and he's like making people eat children pie or something. And then there's another one where it's like, oh, there, there's a hundred versions of the penguin walking around in a the storming uh, GCPD and all this. But I've never really got into it. I don't really watch too much TV. Uh, but I think uh, again that must have been the thing that sold like all the the more Adam Westy style cackling villain stuff. So it makes sense that if well if that was doing more than the the one that show originally about Commissioner Gordon. It tried to be, but when everybody said but Batman, that took over. Yeah, it um, sort of morphed into that. So yeah, I've, I've only sort of been like aware of it, not watching it, but like, oh, these are sort of, this is what it's currently doing, but, you know, if you're interested, but I never really caught with it. Okay, Isaac, what are you rising against? Uh, it's slightly selfish, but I'm going to rise against the new, the, or the, the heavily rumoured PS5, <laughs> uh, just mm. because, uh, what's the thing, sorry, uh, just because it's kind of a a sad moment where I like first had a PS2, uh, skipping over like the N64, PS1 era, and loved like loved video games, loved video gaming through the PS3, the PS4, and my poor PS4 now is in a box. The since we moved, has not left his box. And now, like I was reading the today, I was reading like the other rumored stuff about the PS5 and the rumored release titles, and stuff. I was like. I don't think I want. I don't think I like. I don't think I like video games anymore. <laughs> so it's sort of a sad moment where I was like, "No, oh, this is like this is this is continuing along about me onto the PS six, seven, eight, and uh, on the forever and ever." And I've just sort of stuck in the mud and fallen out, fallen, fallen too far behind. I think. So I'm going to rise against progress and the young. <laughs> <laughs> just entirely progress. Yeah, I've got to say, one of the things that originally put me off the consoles was that they were constantly getting refreshed. Like, every couple of years, they'd go, here's the new one, and by the way, no new games are getting released for yours anymore. Uh, I mean, at least now, they do seem to keep the consoles in circulation for quite a while. You know, a good few years before they well, suddenly the decide they're going to refresh it again. quite long, to be fair. I mean, there's always different consoles coming out, but if you've, like, pitched your allegiance to the PlayStation, then you get a few years out of it. 
Yeah, I think well, PS4 was 2012-ish. Yeah, something like that. So it's about seven years. That's a, that's a standard length of a generation, isn't it? Of a... Which is not bad, yeah. Yeah. I'm more thinking earlier on when it was uh, it was getting swapped out on a regular basis, and I was like, ah, don't, I'm not really a fan. But, yeah, it, uh, I always think sometimes it's like when they come out with the new ones, it's like, ah. And it's it's one of those things where it feels a shame when you're when you're left behind, especially if it's not been out of its box. I go through fits and starts of playing uh, games on computer and whatever. I'm more of a PC gamer than a console gamer, but then a lot of the time I just run out of time. It's like what? What do I, what do I want to do? Do I want to play a game or do I want to get on and get something else done? And normally, something else getting something else done wins out of that. It's all these podcasts that I get dragged into. <laughs> Uh, I'll be getting a PS5, most likely. Um, I love my PS4. Even though I don't play games on it that often, but when I do, I always enjoy it. Um, so I'll probably get one. A lot of people have been complaining about the rumoured price tag, which is 500 bucks. So you're probably talking somewhere in the region of 450 quid here. But the, my counter to that is, like, how much is your annual iPhone that you're buying? You know, and it's like that's half the price of an iPhone and you're probably going to get seven years out of it whereas if you buy your iPhone you're, you're probably going to be looking to upgrade it next year because Apple tell you to so the price tag thing is I mean yes it's high but also when you factor in how many hours of fun you're probably going to get out of it not that high uh, but yeah I love my PS4 I'll, I'll get a PS5 most likely Aaron how about you? I have to admit I never really got into console gearing um, so I, I won't be getting one um, uh, but I've even dropped out of PC gaming recent, uh, quite quite recently as well actually I've been, I'm, I'm a bit back to basics at the moment with my board and card game so I'm, uh, I'm even more rejecting of the technology so maybe I'll, maybe I'll embrace Isaac's ideology there <laughs> I mean, Isaac, you do have the option of working on opposing shifts to Craig and then getting use of it for free. That's a cheating option. Because <laughs> that's... No, that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's, that's right. like creeping... Right. That's creeping into something. Like, I don't know, like... It's... I'm trying to think of a way of just, like... Yeah, it feels weird. It's like, yeah, it's not like your world, but occasionally you can like, you can sneak in and try and snatch, <laughs> snatch a bit of it. I, don't know. I do still have my beloved PS2 somewhere. I think still in a box, but occasionally I want to play Metal Gear Solid 2. So that he will live, he will live until my love of riding on the big shell die. Or the random bouts of Battlefront that we were doing. Or the random bouts of Star Wars Battlefront 2. You know, the good stuff before EA. Before the dark times. Before Before the dark times. But we all love microtransactions and uh, loot crates. Yeah, uh, there's there's nothing more I enjoy than continuing to pay for a video game that I've already paid for. Just just rent it back to yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you, you want to buy this game? Here it is for the base model. If you want all this other stuff that actually makes it fun... That's going to cost you. <laughs> That's what you, I don't like you, about oh, modern gaming. Oh, you want it to work? Well, I think you won't find that happening anytime soon. It won't work without version 1.01, which you have to pay for. <laughs> it, that's very similar to the 
the old PC gaming of my youth, though. That was buying the Sims expansion pack for an extra however much it was, like getting unleashed and on holiday, or the extra rollercoaster tycoon expansion. But those expansion packs were addendums to an already finished game. You know, whereas whereas these loot crates and stuff are just adding what should already be there. Yeah, no, it's like it's making because some of them just make it faster, like I oh, pay to was it pay to win and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There there is a really really awkward way of getting this uh, kill everything gun, or you can pay us ten pounds and you get the kill everything gun, or you can play for three thousand hours. Yeah, 3,000 hours of continuous gameplay. If you break at all, you do not get the kill anyone gun. Or, you know, pay a tenner. And uh, and there it arrives. Um, Meanwhile, I am going to rise against uh, Tomb Raider 2. Apparently they're making a sequel. Uh, I wasn't a massive fan of the most recent Tomb Raider film. I don't know why they're doing a sequel, to be honest, but they're doing a sequel. Tomb Raider 2, The Cradle of Life. (laughs) <laughs> We've already had that one. No. Tomb Raider 2, 2. 2, yeah. two, two The second two. Tomb Raider 2. The second Tomb Raider 2. Uh, I apparently I the other it, one was alright, actually. Uh, Leech of Vikander was really good. The story was, you know, it was very pedestrian, but it was alright. Yeah, I just... Like, the Tomb Raider scripts, I just think there's always something with them. They're, they're always alright. <laughs> you know, maybe this will be the one to break the mould. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, it just yeah, the last one didn't really do much for me. I watched it and I went hmm. so I'm a bit like well, that money could probably go into something awesome instead of doing another yeah, film Well, I hope that Alicia Vikander comes back I think she deserves to be in a better film mm. certainly, a, a better Tomb Raider film and mm. um, maybe they'll have learned from the kind of it wasn't really any mistakes, it didn't do anything wrong it just didn't do anything that was amazing either, it was just one of those yeah, this is a perfectly competent action film. Okay. Yeah, a perfectly competent action film. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely segged. You should host this. Um, we'll, get, we'll get one. We'll get one good segue. Oh, oh one segue. Okay. Aaron, Aaron's segue is coming up in whenever Aaron decides to segue. Okay, well, it's time to move on to our featured topic for discussion this podcast. Uh, We are looking at our Marvel MCU Top 10. So we have limited this to the MCU. We're not doing our favourite Marvel films or Marvel-based character films. We're doing MCU only. Uh, We went to all of the regular contributors to our podcast and asked them for their top 10 and their top 10 only, which is important to remember here. So we did not get them to do their top 21. We only got them to do their top 10. If people didn't list the film at all, it got no points. If they put it in 10th place, they got one point. If they put it in ninth, they got two points and so on until the film that they rated number one got 10 points. We then added all the scores together to work out the Neil Before podcast number one Marvel MCU movie. And we are going to start at number 10. I will put the spoiler clacks in here, I think, just to warn you all that when we're discussing these films, there may be spoilers. And that way we can just get away with saying what we want and we don't need to dance around anything. So let's go spoiler warning. And now we can discuss. Excellent. Okay, we are going to start... Where all good top 10 charts start, which is at number 10. 
Is anyone wanting to make a, a guess, a random like spitball guess for what's at number ten? Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, maybe one of them ones. Or at least a Phase Three one. At number ten, we have Ant Man. Oh, really? Really, Ant Man is number ten on Not our. Not something MC I thought would chart. be into the top ten, actually. It's. I, I've got to say, it is beating number eleven by a single digit. So it was close. Some of these films were ridiculously close together. Now I think it's a fun entry to the MCU, Ant Man. You know, it's it's a bit different. And yeah, I would probably put it about the middle. Would I put it at ten? Probably not. Maybe slightly below that. But do you know what? It's it's sort of middle, isn't it? I'm kind of glad it's in there. To be honest, I think it's yeah, I think it's good fun. I think. People got more than they expected out of it. I mean, whether you're dialed into the behind-the-scenes troubles that it went through or not makes no real difference to the kind of end product, so to speak. But I think, yeah, it was one of those weird outlying characters where it's a guy who talks to ants. How can this be good? And it's like, oh, look, Paul Rudd in it. It's really funny. It's got some creative visuals with the, the shrinking and growing. You know, you've got your Man of Steel-style action sequence at the end that's in a little girl's bedroom. And I like the kind of scaling back to see how minuscule the destruction actually is, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a fun entry, a worthy entry, absolutely. Getting characters taken out by Thomas the Tank or fly swatted across the room is just absolutely hilarious, and uh, I loved it. And it is one of those ones where when you get pitched it on paper, the guy that talks to ants and can sort of control them and shrink, you go, is that going to be a good film, really? Same people that brought us Iron Man and Captain America are going to bring us the ant guy. And it actually worked. And yeah, like you say, putting Paul Rudd in it, bit of comedy, bit of a change, you know, I, I, I think it's a good one. So that is our number 10, Ant-Man. Number nine, four, the first four movie. I'm pleased to see it, actually. I feared it wouldn't make it, but I'm pleased to see it. It's it's one of those ones, the first four film, that often gets overlooked until people start doing sort of little uh, MCU retrospectives. And then you go, actually, there's a lot to like here. And there's a lot that it sort of sets up for the rest of the MCU as well. It sort of brings this, this character in. There's bits of it that are maybe not my favourite, but... You know, as a as an MCU film, I, f- I think it's quite great. See, I, I betrayed this film slightly by not putting it into my top ten, but it was one of the the ones that I wanted to because I I decided my top five, and then my six to ten were like I don't even know, and I put some in that I thought were right, but I really wanted to sort of cram ten films into those other five slots, and and this Thor was definitely one that I agonised over for a long time. Because of because of the the style of it, there, there are if if nothing else, because there are moments in it that are just um so these sort of staggering moments that make you sit up and watch, and just seeing some of the actors in there, um, just to just to have Anthony Hopkins in there as Odin was is just stunning. Because it's like one of those things where you say, yeah, it's not realistic. And you have to think, well, yeah, I know, but this is obviously relative to its setup. Let's, does it actually manage to, to speak to us? Does it manage to connect to us? And the gravitas that he brings is just stunning. I mean, it's, 
they've clearly, obviously, because it was Kenneth Branagh, they've tried to put a little bit of a Shakespearean twist on it. But given that it is Norse mythology, I think that worked. I think that was a perfectly reasonable choice. I don't like the first Thor, as I've said before. I find it really difficult to engage with. The Asgard stuff's pretty good. I quite like that. But the Earth stuff, nah. I don't think Jane Foster's that good a character. I find Thor to be quite tedious himself in the film. Um, I know he goes on to better things, even in his next appearance in the Avengers. You know, he's um, he's much better used there. But uh, the best thing about this film, I suppose, is whatever people say the best thing about every Thor film is, is Loki. Mm. He's done quite well, but I'm just not a fan. Um, I didn't. I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and my opinion hasn't changed over the years. I did actually watch it again just before. I couldn't couldn't watch all twenty one, and um, that was obviously too much of a, of a of a of a try to to do that, and it would break anybody to try and do a marathon of twenty one. But I did watch Thor again because I had to know, and there are things in. I think the opening is better than than the ending. I wanted the reason I didn't put it in my top ten in the end is because it doesn't go through enough of a journey for what it sets up. It, it sets up as a story which is pretty much a Norse legend where Thor has to start as the spoiled child, get told you are not the king in no uncertain terms by his father and is cast out. And then he has to go through this journey of development, of discovery to become the king that he should be at the end. Now, the setup. I think is absolutely perfect. Everything they do in Asgard, I say Odin's great, Thor's great. He's there's it's a spoiled brat, and how they play him off against some of the other characters, even Heimdall, though he's set up, and it, I think is is absolutely perfect. And it, it I mean it does follow an old legend, but the the difficulty is then that promise I think is not fulfilled on earth because he doesn't go through enough of a journey. They do just go back and forth and they lose a lot of time to things like rescuing the hammer, which is not Norse mythology. If it it needed to be him overcoming a gigantic beast, the metaphor thereof, and he needed to go through some emotional journey, which is, which was this horrible occurrence that he then uses, not his, force of might but he uses his force of his spirit to solve and these things aren't occurring it's he goes and beats up some shield agents and he stumbles around and has sort of a a vague drinking adventure with the scientist guy and it, it doesn't live up to the promise it doesn't give you norse mythology all the way through so when it comes to the end this great foundation that's built upon i think is somewhat let down by and he sacrifices himself and you're thinking well how did he learn to do that? What 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 miraculous discovery, what great development did he come across that suddenly caused this spoiled brat to become a hero? So it, it has the the fence posts in the right place, but the thing connecting them, I think, didn't live up to it. But but the opening scenes are some of the it's, it's it opens the best of of almost any of the films. And I, I think I could happily watch the first half and then in my head think, and now it plays out like a horse myth and I'll make that up myself. And then he's a, then he's a glorious king at the end. Yay. And I'll fill, I'll fill that in. So it's, it didn't make it into my top 10, unfortunately, because of that back half. But if we were voting on the top 10 front halves, 
if that's not too weird. It definitely that's a niche list. It is. Top it definitely would have made it. MCU films. Top, top 10 Marvel openings. Top 10 Marvel first half an hour's. Then it would have been right in there. I wonder if I wonder if somewhere Cat's ears are pricking up thinking there's people talking about Thor and I'm not here. Yeah, Cat loves, loves Thor. Um, so watch our so. YouTube video on it, which I'm sure will be linked in the show notes. Yeah, no, I never saw Thor or the Dark World. Actually, I think, I think that's the only two I've not seen. So yeah, I can't really say anything. Never, never got around to the Thor one. I saw Ragnarok and was like, ah. and then according to Craig, like you don't need to go back. No, I didn't. Yeah, once you once you've done Ragnarok, there's no need to no need. There's no turning back. <laughs> there's no turning back. You can't go back to the way things were. So that was our number nine four. At number eight, Black Panther, which received a lot of nominations across the board, though I've got to say I didn't include it in my own top ten. A bit like Aaron was saying earlier on, I had this real debate around about, you know, 11, 12, 10, where films I kept, like, pulling one up, then pulling another one down, then going, ah, but I forgot that one there, and moving everything about. So it just narrowly missed out on my personal top ten, but number eight... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of great MCU films, so even though something is only at number eight doesn't necessarily mean it's that it isn't being praised. I think I think Black Panther does a lot right. I think it's very strong thematically. There's a lot of... It's a great villain. There's a lot going on in the background that's, that's really interesting. Maybe the foreground story isn't, like, as good as it could be. It does essentially end in a giant CGI fight with uh, rhinos. That for some reason aren't brought out against Thanos, despite the fact they might have been kind of useful. But never mind. I don't know. I've heard people say that T'Challa is not all that interesting as a character. I disagree with that, but I can see why people might think that because he is quite stoic and reserved, whereas you know Killmonger, for example, is very passionate. And I think the the importance is in that in how they regard the world. But yeah, it's it's a great film. I think um, it has a lot to say, whereas maybe a lot of superhero films don't have an awful lot to say. It, it was in my top 10. It was towards the bottom of my top 10. But I think, I mean, I, I'm, I can add, I can say the same as Craig, obviously, in some parts. For, for me, it hit everything right, even though I wasn't necessarily blown away by all of it. Like, it, it definitely has a really good villain. I did enjoy the character arc, it had more of an, an arc that, that maybe Thor didn't manage to get. It didn't do anything too fast, didn't do anything too slow. It does have some of the stylish bits in there that you want as well. It had the, the, the sort of cue Bond moments. And I really felt like I enjoyed it. I don't want to fall into the trap of why it should be in there for other reasons. That So I'll, I'll steer away from those and, and say that it would all the building blocks of the film were all good. I struggle to actually tell you why I didn't think it was great. It came out of it and thought, yeah, that was a good film. Everything was right. But it somehow it fell into my back half of the top 10 for that reason, because it was just better than the, better than the average Marvel film. It was well done. Somehow it didn't... I, I think maybe the, the, the films that are in my top... Five gave me gave me a great emotional reaction, and maybe these other reasons that I'm not talking about would give other people 
a greater emotional reaction. So I, I don't know. It, it's a, it's an interesting one, and I'm pleased to see it. I think it's rightfully there, but without managing to get this massive connection to it, I didn't get into my top five. But it's, I think it's definitely rightfully in the top ten because it was so well built. I think it has one of the better villains of the MCU, uh, almost understandable villain uh, in, in a way you can get the point of view almost which you don't get a lot in these movies a lot of the time it's villain take over the world or destroy the entire planet and you go yeah i don't quite understand what your goal is here i know what you want to do i don't know why you want to do it whereas at least in this film you kind of get an idea you get an impression and I, f- I think that's what makes it one of the, the, the better MCU films. Uh, Isaac, how about you? I think I might have been a bad pick for this podcast because with three films in it, it's another one where I don't really have anything to say, really. Yeah, it wasn't in my top ten. The way I picked was I picked the four or five that I really like from Craig's Marvel Blu-ray, like he has the Blu-rays lined up on the shelf. So I picked the four that I was like, yeah, these, these are great, Like I like these ones. And I just sort of sat for like half an hour. I was like, I guess this one, this, this can be six and this can be seven. So it sort of falls into a, a safety net of Marvel films. There are a few that really bounce time, stick in mind and remember and would happily watch a few times. And there's a lot, another like nettier layer of ones, which are like, yeah, they weren't. I didn't regret watching it, but it was a, it's a one and done. Like I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'd have to go back to it. There's some like, annoying nitpicks with this one I can't seem to get out of my head since like watching it a couple more times since the first time I watched it. And it's things like, so they establish in the film that this vibranium mound that Wakanda is built around is, it's essentially infinite. They've been mining it for thousands of years and they haven't scratched the surface. So why isn't everybody in Wakanda wearing a Black Panther suit? It's not as if they can only make a few of them. They could make millions of them. It's just, a, that's a nitpick. But, you know, it's a strange one how you have the, all these people walking about and, you know, and garb that leaves their head vulnerable, for example. I think so. it also falls into Marvel's trap of, oh, another genius. <laughs> Which is, every Marvel character is a genius. Uh, you have Tony Stark, the Hulk, Spider-Man, now there's also Shuri. And there's sort of like, they're, they're always like, incredibly, like, I suppose Vision also counts as a robot, but it's because access to everything, but I, quite, I think I prefer the, the Marvel characters who, like the Falcon, Captain Marvel, or War Machine. And they're like, they're just sort of, or oh, Iron, I suppose Ant-Man as well, would count as one of these. They're just like, they're just guys. Like, they don't they don't have doctorates. So I, always, I really I never liked Spider-Man's genius, because he's, he's just a teenager. But also he's like, you know, he's incredibly clever. I suppose he could be like, what's the word? You can be dedicated, like, you can love a particular subject. But I suppose it's just certain, maybe sometimes certain writers just write Spider Man more clever than I think, like, you know, a teenager in, you know, it's a, a state school. It's always a bit like, oh, there's another, another sort of genius character. Well, he's traditionally a genius. A Actually, funnily enough, T'Challa is traditionally a genius, but he's not in there. He has other people. Thinking for him, maybe purposefully d- dumbed him down for want of a better <laughs> a better phrase, in order to to get away from that. You know, too many geniuses round the table all at once. Yeah, well, um, Aaron, remember you commenting in the Avengers cartoon 
Earthsmite is Heroes that he was in, you kept commenting that there's no need for anyone else when Black Panther's around in that cartoon. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's always characters that get a, a lot of love, I guess. Um, and it's the writer's job to balance them. I don't think there's that danger in, in the MCU, at least. No, definitely not. My thing of like regularly regularly occurring things in the MCU is somehow hidden bases, uh, and this is an entire <laughs> an entire city hidden under a dome in the TV universe. At least, are the Inhumans hidden on the moon? So it's uh, I like we've got all these uh, hidden hidden cities, and you know we've still not got uh, under the sea or anywhere else yet. <laughs> sort of. Uh, summed up so i look forward to them introducing more of that it'll happen namor is now back i think so it'll happen it's a surprise that any of the earth is discovered in the in the mcu you know it's all under force fields and uh, hidden it just looks like there's no one around and the rest um, of the oh, fury secret base <laughs> he's got lots of secret bases he sure does you know you trip over a rock and you have accidentally stumbled into one of nick fury's secret bases yeah. my favorite is unicorn store selling secret base it's it's clearly his his most fantastic and happy of all the spaces. <laughs> That's a reference to the Brie Larson-directed film Unicorn Store. Which is quite... It's, it's more entertaining if you play it in your head as Captain Marvel 2. It's good, <laughs> but watch it again as where just Cal Danvers wants a unicorn and Nick Fury can do that. He's like, yeah, <laughs> part-time S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, part-time dream builder. <laughs> dream builder would be quite a good thing to have on your business card. Yeah. In fact, there's probably some idiot walking about with Dream Builder written on there, but it's probably like an architect or something. One hundred percent. Nick Fury's like hipster, hipster brother, Shield agent guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like innovator. Maybe if if all the timelines shift and we end up in alternate universes, maybe we will get uh, (laughs) Dream Dream Building Nick Fury. They took up a life. I don't know, business marketing or something. Anyway, back to our chart. Uh, We were at number eight with Black Panther. Number seven, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number one, the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. That doesn't surprise me, because it was generally a fun ride that I think will have appealed to quite a few people. So it seemed like it was going to happen. It was probably more fun than it was powerful meaningful plots so maybe you know that is never going to make it number one of the whole top 10 but i'm I'm not surprised to see it's there at all i really enjoy guardians of the galaxy i love the soundtrack which is lots of fun uh, i know that the humor isn't a big factor for a lot of people but i like it i think i find it quite a fun film and it's one that i can put on with my brain shut off and just enjoy so yeah guardians of the galaxy is quite a high up one for me and i'm i'm glad it made it into the top 10 i I was i'm sure it was but i wasn't sure quite how high or how low within the top 10 it would be and it seems it's placed about right for me yeah this is one where because we've it's kind of right with superhero movies it's always been you know but batman spider-man superman and occasionally Marvel characters and into the MCU. But it's always been relatively grounded, like, Earth characters. So I think Guardians was, like, the the fun first step where you have a, a tree and a raccoon and a space gang. It, it, I think, like, Guardians 2 is much better. Like, I really like Guardians 2. That's one of the, like, the, the high bar ones. Guardians 1, I remember, was, like, it was different. I think it's more stood out because it was it was different to... It wasn't your standard superhero movie, which made it far more fun. Like, it was a, a team with a bunch of characters that you'd never think would ever be on film. And then I was maybe a little bit too friendly, I think. I think I was got a sense of, like, they were, like, 
these guys don't want to work together and reluctantly are working together, but they seem to be getting on. No, they seem to be they piled down. They, you know, they got made friends really quick. I don't know if I would have liked it more if they were a bit more hostile against each other initially, but... They were quite hostile because they refer to the human character as their property that they're going to sell for <laughs> ransom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was intriguing. I think, yeah, I definitely prefer the second one. I think it was, I was like, so this is Marvel sort of going into more cosmic ground and I think it felt like they were having a bit more fun with it as opposed to making like the sort of the, the, the sort of traditional and not my not my particular favourite point, the phase one films where they're all sort of your standard superhero fare and then they were like, actually these are making a lot of money. We can really sort of push the boat out a bit. That's what did Guardians One so much, you know, got that much success because it was it was new and fun and different. I was going to say, I think it's an interesting thing about the difference between the first and second Guardians film. I think there was a change in humour, not completely, but most notably, you think you saw the difference in people definitely liked one or the other, and they nobody sort of said, yeah, these are both my favourite. I found the, the style of humour in the second one too brutal. I found the characters brutal in the first one, but the humour easier to deal with, whereas in the second one, I f- the characters were more friendly, but the humour was more brutal, because of, I still say that the, the character that's hailed as the as the patron of, of autistic characters actually becomes a cruel bully in the second film, whereas in the first one, he's much more innocent and therefore his humour isn't so horrific. It, I, I also recognise that's clearly my point. I bring that perspective, you know. So it's there's quite a few f- films and stories out there that you definitely bring yourself into and decide whether you like it or not based on, on who, who you are. But Guardians, for me, was definitely one that, that, that really exemplified that feature of, of storytelling. Um, also, a notable point for me was it was... I, I don't like the grander scale. I love the personal scale. And Guardians, my first Guardians, took us into a grander scale in a way that didn't upset that personal, that, that, that my own need for, for a more personal plot line. So it kind of walked a line in, that Guardians 1 did that was very welcoming. It was a nice, it was a nice welcome experience into the wider universe that I don't think I was expecting. So maybe I liked it just because of that. I think I'm sort of known for saying that I don't like this film and I don't think it's accurate that I don't like it. I think um, I didn't really enjoy it because, as you say, and the humour, like the humour just didn't resonate with me. And since every other minute of it is trying to make me laugh, it just gets more annoying as it goes on because I'm not laughing and it keeps telling me jokes that I'm not finding funny. But I think Marvel, as a, uh, as a statement for Marvel in terms of the, this is what we're willing to make, this is how mental we're willing to go, this is how obscure we're willing to try, and we're willing to throw all this money at it, and we're assuming that you, the audience, are going to eat this up. And they were right. You know, this is the point where, okay, we've done the Avengers, which was a hugely ambitious thing. We've done a couple of other bits and pieces, and now we're just doing this. We're doing characters that no one's ever heard of in the depths of space on a planet. There's no, well, Earth isn't on in this film other than at the start. So it's, yeah, it's completely divorced from everything that you know about the MCU. And the fact that they got away with it speaks volumes for, you know, the quality of Marvel in general. And the fact that they get to keep making just weirder and weirder stuff after this is is great so i've got to applaud it for that i can't fault it for that but for me not a huge fan i just it just isn't for me um i do like the second one 
that different style of humour, I agree, it's different, it's completely different, um, because it did make me laugh, and I resonated with sort of the, the character arcs in the second one more so than this one. Um, so yeah, not a huge fan of this one, but well done for getting it made, you know, well done. I think it increased sort of the scale of the universe and it brought it out. I mean, we had already had, you know, Asgard and other planets through the, the four films, but this sort of showed a different side of it. You know, he wasn't uh, getting transported about on the Rainbow Bridge. It was, uh, you know, this the, you get to see them flying through space and all this. It's so just the scale sort of blew out. Also, we've got to say that you get a little bit of Thanos in the first Guardians one, you know. Yeah, all, all like one and a half and scenes of him in a chair. I think that's about it. This is, but, this is his role in the first Guardians film. Ronan, give me the Infinity Stone. No, oh, I'm just going to sit here. That's it. I'm going to I'm going to sit here and wait. But this 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 will be important later, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're keeping notes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was number seven, Guardians of the Galaxy, at number six. With a, a single point lead on Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming. Craig's now, a Spider-Man man. Craig yes. is a Spider-Man man, man. I am the Spider-Man man. man. Uh, I do like this film, yeah. Um, I think as time has went on, I've like, I'm liking it a bit less. The sort of, I mean, we had a whole podcast talking about where I don't like that Peter Parker gets led in the direction by some more experienced hero, um, seemingly in every film. But this is kind of the first time it happened. Uh, it's good to see... Peter Parker playing with the other pals. There we go, a lot of peas in that sentence. He gets to hang around with the MCU characters, he gets to be part of it. You know, there's little touches like you see Bruce Banner on the wall of like famous scientists and, and you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's got a great villain, uh, Michael Keaton playing Birdman again. It's a really good villain. The scene where they kind of tells Peter he knows his identity is really well acted. Uh, his motivation makes sense. Uh, I've been screwed over by Stark and now I just want to steal a bunch of stuff. That's pretty cool. I was kind of expecting a bit more from it, I suppose, but yeah, okay. I can see why a lot of people like it. It's a bit higher than I would have put it, but fair enough. I think it's one of those ones. It's like, because it's an MCU Spider-Man, they were always going to have to try and, and tie him into the other characters. So you do end up with that instead of him being as self-made as people would maybe want if they were being loyal more to the comics. And then he would be more self-made. However, with it being the MCU and being so expansive, it's like, okay, well, it kind of makes sense at this point that maybe Stark would give him a hand. And But, you know, I I, I get it. I mean, I, I like it. I think Spider-Man Homecoming's uh, pretty good. Um, sixth place? Yeah, maybe slightly lower than that. Maybe on my list, but you know, uh, I'm, I don't grudge it its position at all. Uh, I think it's great seeing Spider Man in the actual MCU, um, which uh, I think is something that we were all crying out for: was to let him let him play with all the all the other MCU char- uh, characters in the toy box instead of sort of being trapped in his own little pocket dimension away from everyone else. I think it's nice getting that integration. Recognize Andrew Garfield's sacrifice. Thank you, Andrew, for your for your effort. Ah, the films that we will never see. <laughs> at least we're getting Venom too. Anyway, okay, we are halfway through. We are at number five in our MCU top ten. At number five, the film that started all, Iron Man, in the middle, middle of our top ten, at number five. 
So this is my top pick, actually. So I'm kind of pleased to see it in make the top five because um, it's my it was my number one. Um, I I don't know how many other people supported me in that. If everybody else just voted differently, so it's 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 ended at the top, sort of more in the top five by more of a default. But I really liked the personal nature of this film, and I went with the Neil Before Blog voting system, which is we are voting for what we like. So there's you know there's no need for this to be the best. You know, literature or art form out there. This is definitely the one I like the most because of that personal nature. Every part of the personal story of Stark is something that I was involved in start to finish. I liked even the side parts of his personal story. So he is, he is a, he's just a playboy at the start. And I think that Robert Downey Jr. was the perfect person to play that. I don't think anybody was going to give me any better on that, that side of things. And he then goes through his rather uh, brutal learning experience, which I think would affect somebody. He he meets a, a religious person, and I was really pleased to see a religious character come in, even in a supporting role, and where religion wasn't the evil that needed fighting. It was something like they do with Captain America, where it's a, a positive characteristic of that character. Um, and, and and even that has a positive influence on, on Tony Stark. So I think then he does go through some sort of believable change based on what he encounters. You get all the cool shots that go with it. The the bit that was a, a, a poster, I think, where he, in his suit, fires a tank buster mis- missile at the tank, turns away in full arrogance, turning his back on the tank, which then explodes in the blur of the background. So just these beautiful shots in it. And then even the sort of cute stuff where he's really struggling at the end with with no heart and his little um, robot scrubber dude... Dummy. T- takes, what's it, sorry? It's called Dummy. Dummy g- takes the, the old... Um, co- uh, I forget what they call it, the, art, the, the mini art reactor, and put, gives it to him. Even that, I thought, was this charming moment that's, that's almost like you're rescued by your faithful dog. So there's, there's so many moments in this film... That, that have stood with me even going through 21 films. And it, there's, that was quite a standout reason, because I think I agree with Isaac to a certain extent. There's a lot of films that didn't appear in my top 10 because I don't remember them. It's not that they weren't good, but if I'm sitting there thinking, how many scenes do I remember? How many scenes had that emotional or intellectual impact on me such that I... I can actually remember them. And I, I, there could be a little bit of an instance of it's the first one I saw, therefore it's imprinted on my memory. But I think I can defend it with these emotional moments that really meant something to me. So it, it's in my top because it's it's one of the ones that I have a greatest memory and greatest fondness for. Yeah, I love the first Iron Man film. I think that um, obviously it's the first Marvel film and it's weirdly kind of a, a holdover from the the filmmaking conventions of some you know, of some of the superhero films that preceded it. So it's kind of the, you've got two thirds of, of whatever the, the story is. And then the last third is just where stuff happens and stuff blows up. And because you need to have that action sequence at the end, but all the stuff about him crafting the suits, you know, finalizing his design, perfecting his design, coming up with different ways to, to make things work. I loved all that stuff, just him workshopping his idea. That was, that was great. And it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was his growth was tied to the growth of the suit 
And obviously the stuff in the Afghan cave where was really cool, just the way he kind of MacGyvers his way out of that situation with all that stuff. It's just it's really good. Robert Downey Jr. is excellent. He's he's very gripping in this role. He manages to do the funny stuff and the serious stuff and, and at no point does it feel like there's an imbalance going on there. It just all feels like part of this perfectly crafted character and it's a character that's only gotten better in subsequent films as well. So yeah, as as a starter for this universe, it's amazing. I mean, I think it's one of the one of the things. Whoever did the casting for this uh, earned their bonus that day because you know Robert Downey Jr. has just done such a great job in that role. And fingers crossed, he will continue to do some stuff. He was maybe. a risk uh, as, at that point as well because mm. he wasn't long at a rehab. You know, it was like casting him. I mean, it can't have been a popular decision for the studio at the time. It must be like cast this guy like the last film he was on. He refused to turn up and all this kind of stuff. Well, he'd done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which he was apparently quite reliable on. But before that, he was like fired from like Ali McBeal because he was drunk all the time and wouldn't turn up to set and things like that. So, yeah, it's interesting that it's a redemptive story for Tony Stark. And Robert Downey Jr. himself is the story of a man who hit rock bottom and uh, redeemed himself. So, I mean, it's it's practically not acting at that point, is it? I mean, the only thing, the only difference is that Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have the technical knowledge to build a... Um, Build a, a rocket suit. Or Yet. does he? <laughs> if he told me that I could build an Iron Man suit, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with him. Um, uh, I don't think I was massively into comics at the time when Iron Man came out. Did it come out before or after The Dark Knight? 2007, so it was yeah, before, the, before Dark... the Dark Knight. Oh, it was this, I think it was the same summer as The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I remember my friend in high school loved Iron Man and I went to see it with him. And he had a great time. And it was, yeah, it was, it was fun, wasn't it? But, yeah, again, it's the, the, the 12 years or so that it's been, it's faded away, so I can't remember the first Iron Man. Other than very vague sort of the bit where there's a big explosion behind him, there's a demonstration and just the, the stuff we first off the plane, just stuff in the trailer, because I probably saw the trailer more, I don't know, I went to the film once or cinema. But, again, there's another one where I remember enjoying it, but it's yeah, the, the the film itself is lost in time until I until I ever revisit it. It's also quite a scrappy little film as well because Iron Man at the time was a kind of third tier Marvel character that very few people had heard of. You know, he'd had cartoons and that was about it. But uh, yeah, it was one of those Marvel are planning to make a universe of films and they don't have access to any of the popular characters because they're owned by other studios. So what do we do? And then you get this. So, yeah, it's the little engine that could, so to speak. And now look at Marvel Studios. I mean, they're 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 unstoppable now. Yeah, and with the the monolith behind them, they can get any property they so desire. Yeah, <laughs> we spent fifty billion buying Fox just so we can play with the, the X Men. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only reason, the only yeah. thing that we wanted out of all of that. Yeah, um, Simpsons is good, I guess, but we get the X Men back. Yeah, Bart Simpson taking down Thanos. <laughs> Could happen. Why not? Why not? They're they're all in the same stable. Okay, at number four, it's Avengers Infinity War at number four. I did put that one in my top ten. You did. You did put that one in your top ten. It's hard to judge because I'm, I know Craig, well, Craig, well, Craig said that, or he's arguing, I think other people have argued that it is itself its own separate film. But I can't go past sort of it as a part one. And, like, until we see end game and where it's end well where it's ending, I suppose. The the Infinity Saga and this sort of two there's two 
you know, part one, part two film as a whole. I'm like, I'm not sure, like, will it land the, will it stick the landing or will it, oh, I hope so anyway. But I'm, the, I'm not sure if it left me hungry for more at the after we watched it. Well, you know, it was midnight when we saw the screening. Uh, it's, it's definitely the best of the Avengers films. There is definitely a lot of problems with the structure of it and a lot of focus in, the wrong, in what I think is the wrong places. But overall, like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. It's definitely not a film for people who haven't been following it. You, like, you don't watch this film if, you don't bring, like, your friend who's, you don't convince them, like, oh, Marvel films are good, come watch Infinity War. They'll hate it. Because it's, it's, it's like watching this, it's like if I watched, it's like if I start watching Game of Thrones with this series. It's like, you love it, it's the best show ever on TV. It's like, who are all these people? It's like, oh, you, like, no, you're just going to get thrown straight into it with no, like, by now you need to know yeah. who all this, you know, Thanos and the Infinity Stones and all this. It sort uh, of rewards the loyal viewer kind of thing, but as a yeah, standalone piece, will it? I don't know. See, this is one of those ones where I, I debated where I was putting this on my on my top ten because I really enjoy the film, but then you start thinking of, is it standalone? And once Endgame comes out and you've watched Endgame, are you going to keep going back to Infinity War or not? Is Infinity War going to be one of those, oh, yeah, we watched Infinity War to get to this film? And then it drops yeah. down the rankings. I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's one of those things. But at the moment, you know, I, I rank it quite highly on my list. See, my um, my feeling is that this will still hold together after Endgame has been and gone. Even, I mean, let's just say for the sake of argument that Endgame ten, ends up being, you know, it's like I'm sorry, mm. but you know, yeah, how could I think such a thing? It's hypothetical. It might you be monster. Yeah, I know. Horrible me. Um, I think this will still hold up because. Thanos is the protagonist. He has, you know, the other Avengers, the other Avengers, he's not an Avenger. The Avengers have very limited character development because it isn't their story. It's the story of what Thanos wants to achieve. And by the end of the film, he achieves it. So he has a complete character arc. So in that sense, it is a complete narrative on its own. Um, obviously, yeah, it's, it's not designed for people that have never seen a Marvel film before. But I think at this point, Marvel Studios can take this calculated risk of that we don't actually care if you've seen the other films or not, or, you know, we're assuming you have, or we're assuming you've seen enough of it to be able to follow all this, so, yeah, have at it. And then they spend almost no time introducing the Avengers. Thor's just there, you're expected to know who the Hulk is, you're expected to know who Tony Stark is, and so on, until you get to this point where, yeah, it's like the culmination of everything. It's everything that they've, all the groundwork that they've laid to get to this point pays off because it's, because you can just jump in and you're expected to follow it. Um, and I think it's it's very ambitious in what they set out to do. I mean, it's one of the biggest cast lists of like A-list actors that a film has ever had. Uh, some of the set pieces are incredible. Josh Brolin is amazing in the, the title role of Thanos and uh, the lead role of Thanos. So, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be in a situation where I don't love this film, uh, even if Endgame isn't what I want it to be. I think you're right, actually. I did sort of underlook at the fact that, you know, Thanos is the main character in this. And when they originally pitched that and they mentioned it in sort of press tours and stuff, oh, no, really the main character in this is the villain. 
I was like, no way. That's just You're marketing like, crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it's <laughs> nice for you to say that and everything to make Josh Brolin feel better about his role and the mocap <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Let's get, get on with it. We all know who the main characters in this are going to be. But genuinely, they did focus on him. They did give him a bit of uh, emotion and everything in the film, which I think uh, was an achievement. And I think, yeah, it does reward... Um, people that have been loyal viewers, but that's what makes it even better for us personally. And like Aaron said earlier on, we are scoring this on personally. What is your favourite Marvel film? Not what you know. What would you go back and watch? What would you go back and see again? And yeah, I think. Can you imagine if they spent an hour and a half reintroducing all the Avengers characters? <laughs> you know, despite the fact that we, we kind of all know who they are even if you haven't seen all the films. Could you imagine? That would be the main criticism of this film. It's like it takes an hour and a half to get going because it's like we have to remember who Tony Stark is. And it'd be, you know, all these scenes of, remember that time I was stuck in a cave and made an Iron Man suit? It's like, and the Hulk was, you know, Bruce Banner would be like, yeah, it's a lot like that time I experimented on myself and now I'm a big green range once. And you'd have all this dialogue that's just, oh my God, it's just people explaining their origin stories to each other. It would essentially be Fantastic Beasts. It would be one of those uh, like 100th episode specials where they keep doing flashbacks to remember that time when this happened. Though maybe that... Yeah, they're all stuck in a lift and just remembering the past. Yeah, remember this, remember that. Oh, I've got this... Look at all these pictures and everyone's going to be a flashback to something. And uh, yeah. Well, maybe that's what the first hour and a half of our three hours of Endgame is. It's previously on the <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was the, the draft along with... Avengers Infinity Floor, and they're all just like, I'm going to be in this lift for a while to get to Infinity Floor, so we might as well chat about us, just go around the room and talk about ourselves. <laughs> oh I know you joke, but I would probably sit and watch the Avengers just having a coffee break, having a chat. Well, my favourite scene in uh, Age of Ultron is the party scene. I could watch that for two hours, no problem. All the Avengers just hanging out and chilling. How Trying about you? The hammer. That's, what they do. <laughs> That's what they do for fun. Yeah, why not? That's like constantly all the time. Just every once in a while you go past and you just give it a wee go. See if you can pick it up or not. <laughs> I'm a worthy yet. <laughs> I'm a worthy yet. No, I'm not. Damn it. So, yeah. But I'm too drunk to drive. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Uh, Avengers Infinity War. Not in my top ten. Um, so, I didn't... It's not that I didn't like it, but it was a... It, it was it was an alright film. Um, I didn't I didn't I don't really remember much of it. Um, I appreciate the 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 effort and the the skill putting the villain in as the as the main character, but I didn't really care um, because I spent so long with this build up to to wanting to know what's happening to the to the main characters. Um, so I'm and I wasn't really invested in him. At all. I mean, the thing, the, the strange thing is, I know I'm kind of going against my own needs as a viewer because a more interesting villain is something that we definitely need to see in superhero films. But I think the difficulty in that I don't really remember much of the film, and it's a lot closer in, in obviously in time than some of the others, is is sure it's, it's definitely telling me that it wasn't, it didn't really impact on me. It it uh, it also had a couple of issues whereby some of the more important moments were duplicated because the two 
big good guy romances are copies of each other. And again, it was leading me to think down the idea of, well, I, well, I've already seen this. So I, I, you know, can, I don't want, I don't want to see that again. Uh, once you've seen somebody, I mean, I can't, I wish I could tell you what they, what they were because I, but I can't really remember, but it's the, the, the guardian's romance and the vision and, um, Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch romance. You see a certain set of dialogue play out with vision and the Scarlet Witch. And you think, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. I'm into that. That's absolutely fine. But then the big moment where they're fighting Thanos and they've almost managed to defeat him and that is undermined by the Guardian's romance using the same, almost same script lines. And so I'm like, well, well, that's just stupid then. You, I mean, I know it's supposed to be stupid because he's supposed to be being brash and he loses it because he loses his cool, but he needed to lose his cool with a different script than the one that had already been used. So I stepped out of myself because, and then I was suddenly, I was looking at a film from a more intellectual perspective rather than being emotionally involved. So it, it, it's not that it wasn't an achievement for me, but there was no emotion in it. The, I think the only time it really hit me was when Peter Parker dies because it's, it's such a great moment of despair as he's as he, he actually reaches towards his mentor and, and says, "I don't want to die," and he's it's delivered really well, and it's it's horrifying to watch somebody go in that way. But everybody else, it was like, "Well, kind of don't really believe you're all dead. We're going to have time travel, or we're going to have alternate dimensions come back and and save you." So I'm I, I'm not really upset because because uh, it's all of you. If it had have been one character or two characters dying, you'd have been bothered because you would believe it would be permanent. And I know this is fodder for superheroes. I know this is the way it goes. People die, they come back. It's just the way it's done. But equally, it's kind of just the way it's done. I've seen it. I know what's going to happen. I know they're going to come back. Maybe it, maybe it won't be the real people because there'll be the other versions of themselves from other, other dimensions. So it's not actually the same character come back. But yeah, you're going to ram it into the same slot. So you've not managed to emotionally grab me. So not my top 10. Um, it was a perfectly reasonable film. I, I got something out of it. I'm not saying it's rubbish, but with no emotional connection, it's, it, it didn't really, it didn't do enough for me to, to be, to be one of my great films. I think Endgame by contrast will be. I'm actually really excited for Endgame because I think the stakes are uh, are automatically more meaningful, and there's all this tease, obviously, about someone's really going to die this time. So maybe, so that that'll hit hard. But Infinity War didn't give me what I think Endgame is promising. On to number three, then. Uh, number three, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Can't disagree with that. Thing is, it's it's number two for me. I'm always um, I'm always kind of torn between the first Avengers film and this film because. I think Winter Soldier is a better film than the first Avengers film, but I kind of enjoy the first Avengers film more, plus of you know, plus of what it achieves and things. But I love Captain America. I think he's a great character. I always have done, and I think the the way of plotting him, you know, shoving him into a modern day setting uh, where morality isn't quite as simple as punch the Nazis and expecting him to work um, is a difficult order. And they manage it brilliantly. You've got this guy who just will not compromise his principles no matter what. He's op- he's living in this grey area, but he refuses to acknowledge the grey area. And he tries to kind of... He works as almost a bit of a reverse virus. You know, he, he, um, he kind of fixes this broken system that's around him by, well, basically punching it. But um, 
but it's great, you know, that no matter what, he just upholds his principles. Fury sell, tells him it's about time he get with a program. He's like, nah. And uh, it's great. He has a cool speech at the end, you know, where he just rallies everyone to his uh, to his cause. Um, there's a lot of intrigue in it. Uh, I don't think it's the political thriller that the directors promised it could be, but uh, that's marketing speak, I suppose. But yeah, it's, it's great. Just great. I don't have a bad word to say about it, really. No, it's, uh, it's another one of my favourites, this. Um, the sort of uh, twists of Hydra reveal, um, I think, sort of rocked what had been sort of a staple of the MCU films until that point on its head. You know, you see basically S.H.I.E.L.D. just getting taken down. And it's been that sort of thing that's been there in the background for all the films up until that point. Um, yeah, I... I I just really enjoy it. It's one that I go back and watch on a regular basis. Uh, the for a Soldier. TV show that uh, is set <laughs> within that organisation that they get rid of. Yeah, you, you kind of feel for the people at Agents of Shield when they must have got to, you know they got told. Oh, by the way, partway through your season, uh, we're going to do this to it. Uh, so you know, just just so you're aware, you know, the whole premise of the show is going to get tipped on its axis. <laughs> Uh, that's my number two, so pleasing to see some of my choices go up there. But Me and Aaron finally agree on something. I know, it's <laughs> mark, crazy. Mark I, honestly didn't, I honestly didn't Ring think the bell. that we... <laughs> I didn't think we would, actually, because I thought you hated Iron Man 1, so I thought we were going to be... I thought this was going to be our only agree, agreeing point, except for the obvious Avengers 1, which has to be there, but, but we'll see. Um but yeah, this this is a this goes up with Iron Man one for me simply because of the memorable moments, um, the fight in the lift that was just amazing. I I was actually at a point where I was gripped. I don't think there's many scenes where you're thinking I really want to see how this plays out and what on earth they're going to do with it. And just a, just the little comments at the start and then the fight itself, I think, is very well done. As Craig's already mentioned, the speech. And I, I want to see that stuff. That's the reason I watch Heroes, is because I want to see this inspiring figure, uh, or or this or, or a development towards being a hero, which is which is the Iron Man spin on it. But, but both of those two things are the reason I think you, I'm into seeing heroes and hero stories. So it it gives me that, um, and then just some of the charming little moments, like him having little chats with Black Widow. It, 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 they just seem so human in that sense and you you do connect with them in those those moments so there's there's all this it's a it's a film full of memorable moments much like iron man one and therefore both of those are my always going to be my top picks isaac how about you uh, i'm getting kind of worried now that i'm going to come across as a sort of sad old footing to because it's not like <laughs> i do like the, I, I think i like this one I remember this one. I know the next two, if we're going with the obvious choice, I'm not sure which order they will be, the next two Marvel movies on the list are the ones that I, one I hate and one that I, is the reason I stopped watching Marvel movies for about like four years or so. And I think I like this one. I like Batrock the Leaper. I like <laughs> The Bit in the Lift. It's a very good Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I remember the first time I watched it, 
and there's the reveal that everyone it was weird it was ob- I suppose it was obvious like I imagine I imagine you all knew it would be you know who the Winter Soldier was ahead of it because of you know it's in the comics and stuff but I'd forgotten it's like oh who is it it's like do you remember the guy who fell off the train in the first one I was like no not, not really <laughs> he, had a, he had a gang like oh one of them fell off the train it's like is that a big there was a train <laughs> Like there's a train in it. It's like yeah, it's him. It's like but he's got his hair and he's lost an arm. He looks super different. It's like oh, it's just a guy. It's like oh, his biggest enemy is just. I remember a, one of my friends said to me when they they saw Winter Soldier, they're like, I bet Marvel wished they'd cast someone better, a better actor to play Bucky in the, the first Captain America movie. And I was like, well, that's harsh. Sebastian <laughs> Stan's not that bad, but also it's not above them to recast, is it? Like they've, they've kept everybody that they've cast. Uh, Iron Man, say, you know, sidekick Rhodey, for example, or the Hulk. Yeah, the I'm Hulk, sure they yeah. could have recast Bucky if they felt like it. Yeah, they just go, he took a formula and now he's different. Here he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do think I like this one, but I couldn't, I couldn't go into any detail. I just remember thinking, like, that was one of the good ones. I do like films. Maybe I don't, <laughs> like, maybe I don't like Marvel films, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact you're going to at midnight to watch uh, Marvel, I think I'm not week. even excited. I'm more <laughs> excited because next day I'm at work and it's going to be really hard. But I'll get to brag about it as like, yeah, I, was, I didn't get in until fourth. And I'll be like, oh, you're partying. I was like, no, no, no the opposite. From, I, was, I was in the cinema watching a film I could have watched literally at any time after today. <laughs> I wanted to watch a little bit earlier, despite the fact I wasn't that excited about it. I just thought it'd be a bit funny to be tired. <laughs> well then <laughs> well then <laughs> well then indeed um, okay so we're up to the big spot we're up to our top two uh, only two spots remaining on our chart and the rest have fallen uh, and are below our top ten the rest have turned to dust they have, they have 50% of the Marvel MCU has been deleted off our spreadsheet of numbers and has drifted slowly away as if it was never there. Uh, but will it return at some point? Who knows? So, we have got two places remaining. Uh, what are people thinking are our top two? What do you think is going to be there out of the, the films that we've not mentioned so far? There's still some, there's still some big hitters on the board. Uh, there would be some that haven't appeared that I thought were going to appear by now. That's interesting. Um, I'm guessing Ragnarok will be up there. First Avengers, yeah. perhaps. Maybe Civil War. Uh, who knows? I'd have said Ragnarok and Avengers 1. That's my. That's where I'm leaning towards. Yeah. At number two, for Ragnarok. There you go. For Ragnarok is I, mean, I think it's a really fun film, and I I enjoyed watching it. But it just kind of bothers me slightly that the best of the films is the comedy. You know, it's like we've got these meaningful characters going through heroic parts of their life, doing amazing things. But what do we really want to see? More jokes, please. Lots more jokes. Loki, <laughs> please. Go a bit more Loki. Come out of the shadows, tell a joke. Brilliant man. Right now, Thor, do something funny. Brilliant. And it's like, oh, Really? That's what we actually wanted out of our superheroes. Just a, just like a, a, a gag and a, and a laugh and a slap the thigh and off we go. So I'm pleased it's in the top 10, but yeah, I think it's a bit high. 
Chris, you'll probably remember this. Have you ever seen anyone more annoyed to have enjoyed something than Aaron was after this film? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's very true. It's like, I, I enjoyed it. I'm annoyed that I enjoyed it. It breaks the rules. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's one of those. Is it is it that it's got more jokes, more humour? It's got it's got Goldblum. I mean, I think that adds about 10 points on any poll, you know, regardless, doesn't it? Um, or nine, or nine, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. See, I I kind of think this one is similar in some ways to what we were saying about Infinity War. Is it's characters that you've grown to love, you get to know in a universe that you like, and it adds more to it. It's like you you needed other films to then build in the characters so that when you see them doing stuff that's against the grain and builds on relationships, and you can riff on it you're in on the joke with it, which means that it makes it funnier and it rises up the chart. I mean, that's my theory anyway. Funny thing about this is that it's it's still, that makes it the riff, the joke. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I put this as my number five, so I'm equally as to blame for this as anybody, but it's like, <laughs> I don't remember this film. I mean, it's like Thor was wearing some sort of gladiator outfit and he was bouncing a ball at some point and there was Jeff Goldblum and there was this, Weird thing where he's going to lose his hair, and I think there's a Valkyrie. But I don't remember what happened. I remember <laughs> none of this film. I just remember it being really funny. And I'm thinking, well, how on earth can how can something that I don't remember? How can I have voted that? You know, my number five, and that that is the only reason. But it's did it did anything happen? Did anybody develop? Did anybody did anybody's character actually change and become anything? I thought didn't we just blow up Asgard and call it quits? That was pretty much it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, there is some sort of deep-seated emotional stuff that actually happens. I mean, Thor and Loki both lose Odin. They both lose their father and have to deal with that. Then they lose their planet and and a bunch of people die. And You know, there is all this stuff that happens. I do think it does kind of get overpowered by the comedy. You know, you still have the tortured banner in there, but the fact that he's tortured is kind of a joke. And it's like, ha, 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 he doesn't like turning into the Hulk. That's funny. You know, it's like the, you know, at least they don't have to deal with the Hulk anymore. And then there's just Hulk propaganda everywhere everyone loves the Hulk on Sakaar and it's like rubbing his face in it and that's funny despite the fact that that's essentially his worst nightmare so what you're doing is you're playing with someone's psychological issues and, and making fun of them um, but yes I, I still love it and I think it's a strong argument against any Marvel detractors who claim that Marvel Studios didn't let the directors make the film that they want to make I think there was some truth to that early on but I think once they started getting like James Gunn involved and, and all this kind of stuff, you you do start getting the director style creeping in. And this is definitely a Taika Waititi film. There is no doubt about it. There's, you know, everything about it is woven into its DNA. And it still works as an MCU film. Um, it's a bit of a game changer in a way because it is when Thor finally becomes king. You know, it takes three films plus the other films that he was in and those shorts that he was in where he was hanging around with Daryl. Uh, I think that was the guy's name, Daryl, his roommate. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, it's, yeah, it's just really funny. I think um, if you were to sort of study it on a... I think if the jokes weren't there and the plot played out in the way it did, it might be a bit iffy, but it's, it does all come together into quite a pleasing package. And it's definitely saved by its humour. Like, it is incredibly funny. But I couldn't tell you why any like like oh yeah, Thor's on this planet where he has to fight Hulk. He's like, Oh why? 
like, I don't know. But it's very funny. Why is the Hulk here? He just is. Just is. <laughs> like, I don't I can't remember how things set into motion, but it's very entertaining. You also really have a Doctor Strange interlude in there where it's like, uh, where it could have been replaced with, where's Odin? He's here. You know, there's 20 <laughs> minutes saved. But uh, still funny. Or do like a random Doctor uh, Doctor Strange interlude. I mean, it's it's like one of those things that are like, yeah, we've got to put this in because we we put it in a cutscene at the end of a, a, a trailer, you know, end the credits. So you know, let's it's do all it. Stuff with, it's all the stuff with Thor in the background, like getting more and more dizzy. <laughs> so it's like it is giving you it is it's the boring part of exposition, like having to get into the next bit of the film. It's just so entertaining to watch, even in the background, or Loki falling through just an infinite number of portals just to keep him busy, and just the speed of Dr. Strange just like happily zipping through the sanctum, and changing and like jumping dimensions of poor old Thor in the background, just having to hold on to anything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really funny. I think a film that is you struggle to... Like any of the other Marvel films in my big net of ones I can't remember if you have like like Aaron or I'm sure you all have ones where it's like I remember what like Iron Man Two. If Iron Man Two was really funny, you'd forgive it for being whatever Iron Man Two was. Or Iron Man and the Wasp. Like I think just a huge injection of humour does save a film far more than a a non funny film with a, a killer like a non-funny like action film, but with a killer script, could be like, or even just action movies in general. Like Skyscraper is great. I love Skyscraper. It's just The Rock doing Die Hard. I was like, this is great. I love watching this. It's, you have a battle in a hall of mirrors. It's fantastic. It doesn't make any sense, but it's entertaining. And I think that's what that's why Thor Ragnarok does so well. I think it's just the one that's it's the entertaining one. So don't worry too much about why. Lots of Marvel films deal with the why. Yeah, yeah, you know the the crisis of confidence, the morals, and stuff like this. Is just one where it's just silly. It's just two two-ish hours of just pure like fun and silliness. It's an interesting one for our poll because it's actually the only film in our top ten that received a nomination across the board. Every every person had Ragnarok on their list. Not even the number one film had a full board of nominations. Ooh. So it's one that that everyone went, yeah, it's in my top ten. Some higher than others. It wasn't it wasn't in everyone's top five even. Um but it appeared on everyone's list, which is why it is very deserving of its number two position. Now, I could drag it out and I could do like a lot of tension music and everything for the number one, but we almost could have written this blindfolded on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope, and I think we probably all would have put the same film. However, we did the maths, we did all the work. At number one, Avengers Assemble. Uh, But like I said before, it wasn't nominated by everyone, which I thought was interesting. I mean, um, nominated name and shame. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not naming and shaming. They are not. They are not. Uh, not all of them are here to. Uh, not all of them are here to defend themselves. Well, but uh, but yeah, I've kept everyone's uh, numbers private. 
to protect the innocent. Secret ballot. So we don't. So we don't burn the heretics at the end. But uh, yeah. Alex. Are you happy to anti- be burned at the stake? Okay. Avengers Isaac was one of them. <laughs> I'm an anti Avengers Assemble. Such a very, very boring film. I think I'd watch going in, it's like, I hadn't, admittedly, I hadn't seen Thor and Captain America at that point. I'd seen Iron Man 1 and 2. I'd just seen the Iron Man ones. So boring. It was. The Loki is there for no reason. There's some. Some aliens are there, also, and it's just like I was like, I don't care about any of this. This is the worst. It's really dull. Like it starts off and they steal the the cube, and then there's a bit of I, I really hate superheroes fighting other superheroes, and there's a lot of that for a bit. And it's like, oh, these people are meeting up together, and I'm, I'm sure like that's you know part of the fun of that one is the the, the back and forth between the various heroes. It's very, it's really boring. I think again, this might have been the same cases as I was sort of describing as a with the Infinity, like the Infinity War. I think I just didn't go in with enough. And that's what ends like. I could just, you know, have a bit of a fun, a bit of a fun laugh with you know various superheroes fighting. But it was just, I was like, no, I'm not interested at all in this. And then they was like, oh yeah, they destroy New York a bit when they fight whatever it is they're fighting. Like those grey dudes. And Loki, who's as a god of tricks, never manages to successfully really trick anyone. He he does the Oh, I'm not really, you know, the Charlie Brown Lucy lifting the football trick to Thor. But ultimately he's and who does he trick? What's his what what mischief does he gather? He he changes from a suit to not having a suit in Berlin. Just to, at some point he loses his little scarf. I was trying to think like this is really boring. Like I was like Loki is at the end he just gets thrown around by the Hulk and people loved it. I was like this is underwhelming. It's just this you have this you have this you know, the Norse god of lies and deceit. And you have no idea you know what is true around him. And I was like this is well I spent a whole podcast. To which afterwards I told Craig I'd never podcast again. That was my first ever podcast. How <laughs> <laughs> how boring this film is! It's there's nothing interesting about Loki in this. There's, I don't care what what Iron Man, Thor, or Captain America think of each other. It's all it's just lots of ego, and, and it's like oh, then there's the you know the death of Coulson, who is just like the man in a suit. It's like we have to we have to stop Loki from using the the thing before the, these things come. And I was like, this is yeah. I've heard to say hello. And it's I've tried watching it again and again now. I've watched it like an inordinate amount of times because I must be wrong because it's beloved. No, but, but you're, I can't you're... Get over how increasingly and incredibly boring I always find. it. But the thing is that your your opinion's your opinion, so it's it's absolutely fine. True. It's um one of these things that I was gonna ask, but you kind of answered it there, is like have you watched it again having watched some more of the back catalogue than you had at the time when you saw it originally? Um but you've just said that you've watched it time yeah. and time again, so I yeah, guess I that answers that. I think I think I've probably watched it three times, I think. 
because I did. I, I went because I like I watched Doctor Strange, which I loved, and then I sort of went back and caught up with a few of them. And I watched it again. It's like okay, now I know about the Infinity Stones and about this sort of stuff. I don't know if maybe the first viewing just soured it. So it's like even watching it, knowing more of the the interwoven like universe that it built up, but I still couldn't still couldn't enjoy it. So it's soured forever for me. Oh, yeah, Avengers Assemble is yeah, I think it's one of one of my for me. It's it's the one of the low ones. It I fell between the sort of web of just fine films and landed in the the just the heap, the flood, the, the regrets. I don't actually recognise the Avengers Assemble title because they just changed it in the UK because we might get mixed up with that old sixties TV show called The Avengers. <laughs> you know, we're walking in. It's like what? Emma. P- that's not Emma Peel. Who's this guy in a metal suit? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> right. So if there was any danger of that ever happening. Uh, I think what more can we say about the Avengers than has, that hasn't already been said um, elsewhere? I think that, I mean, I mentioned earlier it's my favourite because, well, for various reasons, but it's uh, you know it's a landmark. Nothing like this had ever been attempted before. There was a lot of trepidation about will this actually work, um, and I think that Joss Whedon put together an absolute excellent screenplay that makes good use of most of the characters. I mean, Hawkeye gets a lot of the short shrift here because he spends most of the film possessed, which is, or brainwashed, and, uh, which is a bit of a shame for him. But even then, he gets some great moments towards the end. And um, Yeah, I love the way the heroes bounce off each other. I love the way they fight each other. I like the kind of little power play you get, you know, the little uh, little moments that, where you suddenly realise, hang on, Thor can take the Hulk in a fight. Um, it's just... You know, the the way they set up how powerful they are relative to each other works really well. Um, yes, they do fight an army of faceless henchmen at the end, but I think by that point they've earned it. Because um, it gives you an opportunity to showcase what they're capable of, both singularly and as a team. Um, and that's another thing I love about it. There's a lot of these films that feature multiple heroes, like the X-Men films. And you don't really see them work as a team very often. But in this, there's, you know, everybody has their place, everyone's doing their thing, and... Uh, yeah, there's an actual team dynamic, which was, was new. I think, um, the, I think the fact that they pulled this off is amazing in itself, and I think the fact that it's just so good is is remarkable. And it is one that I'll revisit again and again and again. And it doesn't matter how good Endgame is, I'll always have a special place for this one. It's another one of those ones where you're like, this was the, the combination of a lot of other films taking place and almost sort of set the groundwork for a lot of these others to come going, right, if we get all these big characters that people have liked in their own movies, can we get them to gel together in a room that doesn't seem clunky as anything? And they managed it, you know, allowing all the other ones that have, have, have now followed. Uh, what about you, Aaron? I think Screen Junkies covered this uh, as well as anybody is ever going to, because I think it sums up everything that... Isaac and Craig have just said, which is a, a video that says, this was bad, this was weird, this didn't quite work, this theory doesn't work together, how are these characters talking to it? And they just go for it. And then at the very end, the guy just says, but who cares, because we loved it, it was amazing. <laughs> and it, it's, one of, it's one of those things that I think works on one principle, which was actually everything Infinity War was supposed to be. 
which is the culmination of the promise of all the previous films put together. And the reason I think Infinity War could never do it is because Avengers had already done it. It was this promise of five films that came before it that introduced all of these characters and then said, and now we're going to sew it all together into one great pudding that you're just going to love. And if you hadn't watched them all and you hadn't bonded with all those characters, you couldn't enjoy that coming together. And I think it's something that potentially explains Isaac not being able to connect with it because the film was asking you to have watched all these other five and enjoyed them all. And if you didn't, it would be too difficult for you to get anything out of Avengers because it wasn't aiming at you in any way. It wasn't, in, you know, it was just assuming potentially arrogantly. So this was everything you ever wanted. And the core audience was that group of people who did overlook that there was no way these characters could talk at a distance who wasn't too worried about the idea that Loki wasn't doing enough cool stuff because all the other characters, like Craig said, we had the Thor, we had um, Hulk versus Thor, so we saw all these cool moments and we were totally on board because we'd been we'd been drawn to that moment with this previous foundation. So it doesn't surprise me it's up here, and I loved it for that reason. But when somebody asked me to, de- to deconstruct it afterwards, even though I agree with Craig that it was a good. Uh, Eighteen piece where they bring the the group together and then do a good thing with that group. If if you do try and deconstruct everything that's happened before, you think okay, okay well yeah, I admit that that could have been done better. Oh, maybe that that was a bit weak. But you you look you looked past it. It grabbed you anyway because of everything that had done before that to build you up to that point. So I think it's a good piece. And I, I think it's good. It's in that top ten, but I think it is only in the top ten because of the work that was put in beforehand. That you know that work that DC can only kneel before because they haven't managed to do it. That Marvel did. They put in the effort, and they, and it got a payoff. But it is yeah. It's not a it's not a standalone piece. But uh, but but who cares? You know. We loved it for what it was, and I'm, I was right in there with that crowd loving it all the way. I think we could sort of debate its accessibility until the, the cows come home. Obviously, Isaac didn't engage with it as a as someone that hadn't seen all of the Marvel movies, but I know a few people that this was their first Marvel movie, and its success at the box office relative to the other Marvel films suggests that it was a lot of people's first Marvel movie, and I think it does at least make some effort to kind of give you an introduction to those characters if you if you don't know them. So it gives you a bit of a cheat sheet on what they're all about that's kind of what they i mean they all have individual introductions you know you see iron man he's um he's you know building something so okay this guy's you know this guy builds stuff uh captain america he's like tortured after his being woken up from a deep freeze that tells you exactly everything you need to know before this film and uh thor and loki's dialogue tells you where they're coming from etc and it's it's kind of all stuff that infinity war doesn't do because it expects you to follow it and I think Infinity War is just this, but on a grander scale, you know, with more characters. Um, but as you say, Aaron, they've already done it. They've already brought brought a bunch of disparate franchises together into one bigger franchise and, and made it work. So it's kind of the norm now. You know, the, the fact that they can do this and, and no one questions it is the norm. But this is before it was the norm. And I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously some people won't be able to access it. Others will. I think that... I think it makes some effort to at least 
if you've never seen a Marvel film before, then you'd be okay following it, as long as you're willing to accept that superheroes exist, I suppose. Okay, well that takes us up to our top spot, Avengers Assemble. Are we wanting to go through the chart very quickly? Yeah, let's, I'd be interested yeah, in we've got nothing. Yeah, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. Well, uh, in our poll, as I've uh, described earlier on, uh, we only did the top 10, so if a film did not appear in a top 10, then it got zero points. There were two films that didn't get any nominations. They were, at number 20... I've put them joint because I wasn't going to tie-break nil pois. Ant-Man and the Wasp and The Incredible Hulk. Two films right down at the bottom, sad and forgotten about Ant-Man and the Wasp and The Incredible Hulk. Um, I've always mentioned with The Incredible Hulk, I keep forgetting it exists within the MCU. I can't remember it enough. Uh, Running on Aaron's rules of earlier on, if you can remember it, then great. I barely remember The Incredible Hulk. I think you could show me scenes from three different Hulk movies uh, smashed together and I wouldn't be able to tell which one was The Incredible Hulk. I've got to be that honest. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to work it out. Unless like the, it was the bit with Nick Fury in or something. And then I'd be like, I, yeah, okay. I, I mean, I didn't place The Incredible Hulk on my top ten list because I think there are at least ten films that are better than it. But uh, <laughs> I actually quite like it. Um, all right, the Edward Norton casting is something that they maybe shouldn't have done because it kind of tars it in some way. You know, it's like the, the ugly stepchild that they try to forget about, even though they, they they bring in elements from it every now and again. I mean, it essentially exists to use footage of it in the Avengers to tell you who the Hulk is. Um, but you've got General Ross, he turns up in a couple of films. That's where he comes from, is this film. Uh, I actually think it was one of the better villains as well. I think uh, Blonsky is a great villain. Um, and he doesn't get enough credit because everybody likes to forget about this film but I like it yeah it's it's one of those ones that sort of sits uh, sits down the bottom I was surprised about Ant-Man and the Wasp not picking up a I single wasn't. nomination <laughs> I, I thought it might have popped into someone's like around about 10 or something maybe someone might have gone you know I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp but yeah, for me as well, it's like on reflection, it appeared a lot further down my list when I started. It was one of those ones that I put higher at first, and then other films kept going ahead and ahead and ahead, and I was like, okay, it's actually dropped quite low down. So um, on reflection, Ant-Man and the Wasp sitting there down at number 20 with The Incredible Hulk. At number 19, For the Dark World. <laughs> so that was on someone's list. It was on someone's list. <laughs> For the Dark World was on someone's list. Um, it's dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sitting down on uh, number 19. It made it. Um, I assume it was on Craig's list, that's all. No, just, just to try and throw the poll. No, no. I know. I... We have this big discussion. I like Saw I like Saw 1 and hate Saw 2. He likes Saw 2 and hates Saw 1. Yeah, but it doesn't so... mean I think it's one of the top 10 Marvel movies. I don't know, it's I just mean, if I had to pick somebody, you're the only one I know that actually has positive things to say about it. So I'm going to guess Natalie liked it. That's what I'm I mean, guess. Saw the Dark World is definitely on Craigslist. She can get anything on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Craigslist. Not this Craigslist, though. <laughs> At number 18, Iron Man 2. So, considering how high up everyone regards Iron Man, uh, the first Iron Man film, Iron Man 2 is at number 18. 
surprised it's lower than three, actually. Uh, Iron Man 2 is that... It's that guilty... That movie that people assume that franchise set-up movies will always be. And, you know, the, the things that DC are doing or the, the, the Fantastic Beasts franchise are doing. It's kind of a promise that another film later on might be better than this one. It's like, that, you know, don't you, you have to watch this one, but wait until Avengers. Yeah, it kind of ties into other things, sets up other stuff, moves Tony Stark on a bit. Uh, does a bit of character work with him, but the villain and everything's a bit... Yeah. yeah. Uh, number 17, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2 which is um, lower than I thought it would be. Another one that I thought might have been a little bit higher. But yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, at number 17. I don't know if it's another one that's one of these sort of on-reflections. And because of the brutal way we've done this with the top 10 and we've not done a top 21, is it means that it doesn't sort of pick up scavenger points from being further down people's lists. It just received nothing at all if it was at the bottom. Uh, number 16, Iron Man 3. Yeah, I can't stand Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, narrowly beating uh, Guardians of the Galaxy by a single point. Bump it into 16th place. At number 15, it's Avengers Age of Ultron. Our our team united again, follow on from our number one film, and it's down at number 15. At number 14, Captain America, the first Avenger. Narrowly beating Age of Ultron by one point. One point sort of bump it up. In number 13... The most recent of our uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe films, Captain Marvel, is at number thirteen. Yeah, that's probably that's probably that one's on me. I had to give it a full ten point. <laughs> <laughs> that means it was at like someone's number seven. Uh, I also gave Iron Man three one more point than Guardians two. So I think this is actually. I think what's happening is now you're just reading out my own. Uh, this is, I'm reading, this is I'm reading Isaac's list. Then there's the Isaac Y. The bottom ten is all of Isaac's films. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, page next. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> number twelve, <laughs> Doctor Strange. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange uh, beating Captain Marvel again by a, a single point. It's just uh, Iron Man, but with magic. I mean, the thing is, with all these films, it's such. A lot of these are pretty good films. The thing is that because you're ranking them against each other, they appear, you know, the chart seems more brutal than it should be. Because yeah, you're sitting there thinking, something oh, it's has got to be in the bottom. Yeah, probably. something something needs to go down on this list, and, and sadly, some of these are hitting it. Uh, so at it was, number. It was a shame for the Star Trek franchise until recently there was, you know, they were all in the top 10. And then you have to make an 11th one. <laughs> Um, speaking of number 11 uh, the one that narrowly missed out to Ant-Man Captain America Civil War go on Isaac you've wanted this just out of the top 10 (laughs) just out of there you almost got to talk about it in the top 10 Isaac yes if Avengers if Avengers 1's in the regret pile Civil War is heavily stamped down in the mud is one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's the airport scene. It's so these are supposed to be heroes. Now imagine you're on holiday and you're in uh, Paris, say, and you're at the airport and you're waiting for your flight home, and suddenly every flight is cancelled, like every single one. And you're like breaking news, it's like Berlin Airport has been destroyed. This is it's the whole thing. All flights are grounded. Like what is going on? Like so the Avengers. It's like, oh, who are they fighting? It's like, oh, no one. They're, they're just, they're just destroying an airport. It's like, oh, they've turned evil. It's like, no, they just some paperwork's come in, and 
they're just they're just going through it. It's so selfish. It's so anti-heroic. It's so ugly that I'm sure that the rest of the film was probably good. I'm sure the bit at the end was good. What was that bit? I was like, why? Who thought it was a good idea to take these characters that we love and just have them destroy, like, try and kill each other, kill each other in, like, a huge, like, I think just ruining so many lives, so just for some petty nonsense. And the whole rest of the film, I was like, it's, it's really, it was just, it's like I couldn't get past that bit in my head. I was like, this is just awful. Like, I've since, like, I know these films aren't the books and stuff, but in, there's a, in the Civil War comic, there's a sort of thing at the end where, like, Captain America realises, I think they're fighting in Capitol Hill or somewhere. They're fighting somewhere like a landmark. And he realises, like, this is nothing to do what a superhero, like, a hero is. You're supposed to be protecting the innocent and, like, looking after and fighting for people who can't fight. It's not supposed to be just beating up each other. And it's sort of like, that's why Thurston Shelley is like, no, I can't take part in any of this. But this, I don't, I think in this, the film, he just tries to drive it through his mate's heart because I think it just, it can't, it's, I don't know, it's so, it's so awful. I was like, it just, it just kept going on, it kept getting worse and worse. And there's all that stuff, it's like, because destroying an airport is a, an act of terrorism. <laughs> like, Spider-Man flying through and attacking the Falcon and thing is an act of terrorism. It's like, oh, at the end, Captain America's team are thrown in the, the, the prison. But really, they should all be going through. Like, they should all be gone. I don't care, it's like, oh, are you hashtag team this bunch of terrorists or hashtag team the other bunch? But collectively, they're, they're just destroying the thing. And then, like, yeah. So from that point on, the whole film was just dead. It was gone and ugly and stupid. I was like, this is just a waste of thing. I have no idea why. But as people like seeing Giant Man or they like seeing Spider-Man versus Captain America and stuff. But I really hate heroes fighting heroes. It's the worst. It's the exact opposite of what superheroes are supposed to do. So Civil War will always sort of just it stinks. It's really, really ugly film. Really hate it. I think it gets somewhat overpowered by the airport scene. I mean, I, I love the airport scene. I just think it's such a an amazingly put together piece of nonsense. It's just all this cool stuff going on. Spider Man crawling on Giant Man's face and everything. It was just, yeah, it's like I can't believe I'm seeing this. This is incredible. Um, Sometimes it's easy to forget what the rest of the film is actually about. And, you know, Chris, this was your first podcast, uh, <laughs> Civil War. Um, so we we had a long discussion about it and about what the Accords meant and kind of how the, the film almost forgets about them by the end because it, they're fighting about something else by the end. And I think that I think it gets overpowered by the airport scene. And, and sort of as time has went on, I've been less dazzled by it. That's why it's not higher up on my list. Um, but... I do still think it's a good film, and I think it's 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 a celebration of its own existence in a way because it's like look at all these characters we have now let's make them fight. It's like mashing your toys together. You know we all get it. Yeah, you you want to know who will win a fight between this guy and this guy? Well, here we're going to answer I mean, it in the following if, film if where Spider-Man it will end in stillmate. Xenomorph, what's going to happen? You know, I, I put that. <laughs> why I mean, did, it's why a... did they make Xenomorph toys? It was an eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> 
you were even supposed to see it. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, I, I get, it's kind of similar to what Aaron was saying earlier on about the Avengers film, is that when you look at it and you start to pick it apart and go, but why this and why that way? And they're destroying an entire airport. Why did they pick to do it here kind of thing? Is when you start going, okay, it, it doesn't make some sense. However, you're getting to see these characters interacting again and it's pushing on the story. How would they sit in this theoretical argument between um, having to register, not having to register? And yeah, it's not very heroic, the fact that it ends up coming to punching blows at the end, but you do get to see it. And I think that's why it's, it's maybe sort of... Uh, further down people's list you are getting to see this interaction but you're not getting to see the characters getting on which I think is what makes some of the other films fun is that dynamic and when you put a massive split in that dynamic it kind of hurts it a bit um, we've kind of run up to, to the chart so I think that concludes it really um, just give us the, the top 10 one more time the top 10 one more time okay so we're at number 11 uh, Captain America Civil War yeah. Uh, at 10, uh, Ant-Man. At 9, 4. At 8, Black Panther. At 7, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number 6, Spider-Man Homecoming. 5, Iron Man. 4, Avengers Infinity War. 3, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. 2, 4, Ragnarok. And at number 1, Avengers Assemble. There you go. Your top 10 MCU films as decided by a slot of yabbering idiots on the Neil Before Pod. Also so, known as the Neil Before Pod official MCU ranking. Yeah, officially known, yeah. You know, with lights with and fanfare. Free Infinity War official MCU ranking. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a team effort to come through and validate. Slightly different from Craig's... Uh, Craig's top ranking, you know, odd bits in there, but I think it's a fair one, to be honest. It, it was really interesting getting the poll results in because everyone's results pushed films around the top ten, just kept changing. There were films that were dropping out, films that were that were popping up. If you've got any opinions on our top ten, what you think maybe should have been higher, what should have been lower, then you can leave it on comments on the article for this podcast and wherever you want to read your read your comments, leave your comments. In the meantime, until we discuss Avengers Endgame and where it appears on our MCU rankings, mm-hmm. it is is uh, <laughs> goodbye to Craig. Goodbye. Bye. And goodbye to Isaac. Goodbye. And uh, thank you to Aaron. Thank you. And it's goodbye to me. Thank you very much for listening. And join us again next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.